0: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Pyramark podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to have you all back again uh, and uh, today uh, I'm, I'm really excited to welcome a new guest to the show uh, and uh, we're going to talk about her book and her story. Um, welcome to the show, Lindsay Medford.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: it's really great to have you here. Um Lindsay has uh, written this written this great book which I'm still reading uh called um my body and other, my body and other crumbling empires that's a, and which I think is a really great title by the way um like I, it's not one of those kind of boring generic titles it's a probably it's like a fun title but a really interesting one so um yeah i'm excited to to hear your story today and talk about that book so um just tell us a bit about just briefly like about yourself before we get into your story
1: sure um well I'm sitting here in Chattanooga Tennessee USA um and we my husband and dog and I have just moved back here um from South Carolina so I, we are just a couple of hours drive from where I grew up, and I'm back here in the southern Appalachian Mountains and have been really reflecting on how this land and this history are being part of who I am. Um, I grew up uh, super Christian, <laughs> evangelical, and um, that's a big part of who I am. And I went to Christian college, I learned, I majored in theology there. Really, it was a good time to be at that school. And I really learned a lot and um, went into a theology master's program and um, among some other social service um, things that I did in around that time. And then we, my husband and I got married and moved across from Massachusetts from New England down to South Carolina. Um, When I was 26 and we got the dog and we were in this new town where we didn't know anybody. And then I got sick. And so I had, I really had had this feeling in a lot of ways, like my life was about to start right then. I had a lot of ambitions to save the world and um, they all got derailed pretty quickly. So uh, now I'm a writer and speaker. Um, I consider myself disabled, or at least sometimes disabled. I'm also right about six months pregnant with our first kiddo. So, uh, oh, wow. That's very much on my mind in the background of all of this.
0: Wow, yeah. it's great to it's great to to meet you, um, and yeah, you, this, we're going to talk about your uh, disability and, and the story you, you experienced with that uh, today. That's what your book's about. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, tell us a, tell us a bit about the story behind behind this this book, and uh, and obviously your disability and how that changed your life
1: hmm Yeah, so that was the beginning of the story. And it took me it's once I after I first got sick, I had been diagnosed um almost sort of miraculously as a kid. And but then my autoimmune disorder had been in remission for a long time and I'd kind of almost forgotten about it uh in some ways. And so when it came back, in some ways, I like knew what was going on. And in some other ways, I was pretty naive about when I was going to just like get back to normal <laughs> um, because there, I don't know, I just, some combination of of just being a kid and liking to read and figuring out how to muddle through as a child, and then maybe per, probably not having quite as severe a symptoms, then had convinced me that this wasn't going to affect my life very much for very long, and then I just kept getting sicker and sicker, <laughs> and so it took me a little while to to accept that you know chronic illness is chronic, and it's illness, <laughs> and um as I started to realize that my life was not going back to normal. Uh, I, the book is just about this really long process of, of gaining more and more distance from what I had considered normal and the ways I had envisioned healing um, and sort of being led through this very long process of learning to live with this body, uh, into, a a new way of, of living. Um, so I have Bichette syndrome. People always want to know the name, but they usually are not familiar with it. It's very rare. Um, but it's an autoimmune vasculitis, which means it can just do kind of anything to any system of your body at any time. (laughs) Um, but I have, uh, Found a lot of things that affected it, that affect my body and my immune system that have really helped me, um, you know, not like overcome or defeat my illness, but um, have helped me, you know, I feel like I'm a person that gets to participate in my life again and has some agency within this wider system that I also can't fully control, Um, but have learned to live with this body because this is the body I've been given.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of embodiment work Um, Mm -hmm. and that's part of what I've, what I've learned is, you know, I I have conditions. I'm epileptic Um, and I, um i'm on the spectrum um and i have adhd and so i have to that's just how my body works and uh what something i've had to learn to do is to just live with my body as as he is uh rather than kind of try to resist it or fight it or like just reject it when you cooperate with your body then it actually makes life a lot easier is that is that your experience as well
1: yeah, well, life, I think the life that I have been given, you know, um there's uh, there's certain visions of life that are not attainable in my body and as long as I am trying to live those lives, I'm not I'm always going to be fighting my body. Um but yeah, exactly, when when I am in cooperation with my body as she is, um then discerning those those paths and those lives <laughs> becomes a lot easier and um even even if the way i have to get to where i'm trying to go looks really different um uh, it's my path and it's um it's really worthwhile and beautiful if like you're saying, if I'm able to just accept
0: that, that's what it is. Yeah. And what was, in what what ways did you have to start changing your life uh, and your your day-to-day life to um, somehow, you know, cooperate with your body?
1: Well, I mean, my biggest and most persistent symptom has been fatigue. And so I've, done a lot of experimenting with different jobs and I you know at at this point in my life up till now for the I mean for the last like seven years or so I have not been able to work full-time and I can't really do like a physical job either without I can I could either work full-time or I could have the entire rest of my life you know I could work full-time and then sleep full-time. Or <laughs> I could um, reimagine what, like, having a career or being a productive adult or mattering to the world, reimagine what that looks like outside of the get a career, climb the ladder story that we are handed. Um so that's been a huge thing, um, and then a lot of the other pieces of the puzzle are just like being really super intentional and putting a good amount of time and resources to the care and keeping of my body. Um, not very, not very often in ways that are so different from what you like. Read in the paper every week that you're supposed to be doing. They're like, wow, scientists have found out that people really do need sleep. <laughs> you know, um, you know, eating vegetables would be good for you. <laughs> it's um, just that those things have various like immediate and measurable impacts on my body, and I do, I do think they have immediate and measurable impacts on most of us that. We may or may not have been taught to like ignore or um dismiss, but anyway my mine are really dramatic, and so having i have found the habits and the um, the relationships and the things that I need to really keep those things in place, and then. And when something is gonna interfere with them, sometimes that that's like a hard no.
0: Mm. Yeah, I suppose setting boundaries with yourself is when you have yeah. when you have a when you have like certain when you have a condition that limits your body, uh, you've got to do that. I have to do I have to do that. Uh I have you know, I have there's, there's certain things that I can't do or can't or places I can't go or even films that I can't see, because I know how my body works and that it sure. will cause me harm, so I have to protect myself to and and you know uh, and set boundaries with myself. And that that's I think setting boundaries with yourself is really is one of the hardest things to do because the only person that can break them is you, and the only person that that that, that doesn't that gets harmed by you breaking them is you. And so, in a sense, you're kind of accountable to yourself. For for those boundaries, so it's 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 more difficult sometimes. Do you find that?
1: Yeah, I've learned um, that it is that is very true. Um, I've also I really do think of accountability being accountable to my body is very different from being accountable to myself. I think maybe even as I've come to understand myself as disabled and. Really, just paid attention to how we treat bodies in our world. I've just become so protective of my body, and like no one else is going to to do these things for me. No one else is going to prioritize this. No one else is gonna stop in, you know, and say, "Wait, your, your body is not okay." Like they may not know, and it's not their job. And the world is definitely not set up for them to do that for me, and so I think over time I, it's become a different thing than like, oh, I have to I have to eat this salad. It's like I think my body is asking for this, you know, and like who am I to who am I to say no to her wisdom, um, and as a i mean as a christian too I, I feel really strongly that our bodies are places of revelation and sources of truth and so that there's a sort of accountability there to 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 what i believe about the world and where yeah. i think even sometimes where i think god is speaking
0: yeah yeah i understand what you mean yeah I do think our bodies tell us the truth. I really do they they always tell us the truth um, about what's going on in our bodies and about and also they can tell us the truth about the world outside as well like that in kind of in, yeah. that intuitive sense sometimes you feel when you don't feel safe and you don't know why but you just don't feel safe and a, a particular person or in a particular place uh, and things like that and you know when you're not 100% when you you know if you're paying attention to your body and listening to them um i have found that it is it's easier to be kind to yourself and uh you find problems earlier uh and get to the yeah. doctor quicker you know because you're just just because you're paying attention a little bit yeah it's,
1: yeah and then um well, first of all, I, I've always find it funny. I I always find it really encouraging and exciting, but also really funny when a new like scientific study comes out where they're kind of starting to figure out how some of these things work. And they're like, oh, the nervous system can do this and this and these signals in your gut are telling you this and we're responding to this in your environment. And so like, you really, you really should listen to your body and like all of the like, indigenous people and women and all kinds of other groups that have never always relied on our bodies are like yeah we've been saying this we have ancient texts that say this and uh, science is just catching up um and then what you're saying about catching things earlier and really having that um how effective paying attention is just in Showing us where to go next is—that's actually part of the the crumbling empires piece—is um, that I started to see where my uh, my body was saying to saying things to me about what I needed and how my life needed to be, but also um, showing me how a lot of wider systems had failed me and were failing all of us, and so. Yep um i was learning that from my body and even learning the a later phase <laughs> has been learning um from this process how we go about making change in a way that's different from um this sort of dominant cultures need to control things
0: yeah absolutely yeah and that's that's part of the of the, of the of the book, I wanted to get onto is the crumbling empires because you yeah. know our body our bodies live in a in a world which kind of commodifies our bodies and right. right. uh, almost treats them like machines and you know that's the system that we, we kind of live in uh, tries to dehumanize us you know in in a yeah. way and of course our bodies are going to come up against that at some point and uh you know that's uh so that's not a surprise you know what, what, what were the biggest what were the biggest lessons that you learned in that process what is it you discovered you know about how your body comes up against those kind of crumbling empires as you call them
1: well there were a lot of i mean even the specifics of like needing to sleep, needing to, like, learn how to eat well, um, needing to be in community. That's, like, I can very, like, directly and measurably see the impact of friendship and community and time spent with people on my physical health. Um, so, just, like, even those very specific things are all pointing to things that make us human that make us like able to able to function and able to be the fullness of who we are that most of us do not have fully have access to um, or do not allow ourselves access to uh, depending on our social location uh, because of just the way we, the way things are operating in modernity. Um, I think the other piece, that sort of frames this conversation though, is that I spent a, spent a good while waiting for the right drug to make me fixed. <laughs> and so there is a whole, the whole metaphor of how we expect technology to fix things for us Um Versus what it takes to actually heal is kind of frames a lot of this as well. That we sometimes technology has a miracle fix for something extremely specific. (laughs) Um, But usually when we're looking at a very complex system, including the human body, or human life, uh, what it what the what that system needs to be in balance with itself and in, in in right relationship with itself and with its environment is much more complex. And that process of finding what it is, nourishing the system with what it needs and putting putting the right sort of habits and relationships in place is very long and slow. Um, and that feels really foreign and bad in our like capitalistic modernity soaked cultures where like you, you may even feel responsible for getting fixed and getting back to normal. Um, but when, again, when we can embrace the slowness of that process, there's actually a lot that's very beautiful and um, joyful about it. And it's more effective in the longer term. Like so much of, so much of the, of what we identify as being like really wrong with capitalism or modernity or whiteness. Um, is just like really mostly just a matter of measuring things on the wrong scale. I mean, it's we, measure things on such short time scales um that we don't have the vision to notice where there's deeper healing available to us on that if we're willing to look on a longer scale
0: yeah that's right because you know whilst medication can be good and useful and you know in, in the sure. right context and like well, you should always go to doctors and, and uh, medical experts when you've got medical conditions
1: uh, yeah
0: at the same time, there's also a. We live in a kind of culture, like you say, where it wants to medicate us out of everything, and you know, there's a like everything. You can go too far in a sense. You can uh, like trying to when you're just when you're when you're when you're experiencing pain, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, and your only answer is just to medicate it away and pretend like it's not there. That doesn't actually solve right. the problem because it just it just makes you feel like the problem's not there when it's still there and anyway to yeah. deal with if there's pain in your body of some kind is to get it dealt with is to confront it in a sense like to okay what is this and how can i what's the problem what is what is causing this in my body you know
1: yeah medic medication is really useful for acute illnesses or injuries or the acute symptoms of a chronic illness sometimes you cannot address the underlying cause of a chronic illness until you have dealt with very serious acute episodes or symptoms. And then after that, there is often another step that we kind of neglect um, that in the U.S. people often do not have access to at all because of our healthcare system, mm. um, which is going back and saying, what is causing this? How are we going to prevent this? these acute episodes and symptoms from just Recurring at like sort of shorter and shorter intervals, um, and that's where that longer process and that deeper healing and those little things we overlook about what our bodies need to function—that's where those things come in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that applies in a physical sense, and and can apply in apply an emotional sense because uh, sure. you know I, I take antidepressants, but I'm still in therapy. Um, um, mm-hmm. Because I because I don't want antidepressants. The reason I resisted antidepressants for so long is because I don't want to medicate away the pain. I want to actually deal with my emotional pain and my trauma and whatever it is. Uh, I want to actually face it and talk about it and deal with it and heal from it. Uh, I don't just want no. to medicate it away. And uh, it, it, I only started antidepressants when it got to the point where where the doctor prescribed them first. Because that, that's important. Um, uh, yeah. I didn't describe them myself and I never would, uh, and people shouldn't, I, I don't think. Uh, but and also when I knew, realized that I fully needed them to just give me the emotional balance to do therapy, you know, so that it got me to a place of stability where I could then do the, the work of healing, right? Um, in therapy, yeah. um, with a professional. And that that's worked and it, it does it makes a difference it's sometimes it's it's not either or it's like a little a bit of both and right. right um and it's the same with physical pain as well like uh like you say, there's some conditions where the pain is so acute that you need to bring the pain down so that you can actually start to treat the pain uh, yeah. and so that you can just survive day to day while you're trying to treat the pain and it's that kind of both and that that's um that often misses that we often miss in kind of the the the, you know, the, the um the kind of culture uh, cup, the kind of capitalism the system that we live in um tries to make it like one or the other anyway, that often mm-hmm. it's, it's both and
1: yeah, and then we have the same struggle to to hold both when we're talking about societal or systemic pain, where um, we get so caught up in the urgency of certain things that we lose sight of all these other resources, all these other skills and processes, all these other people who um, can help us address these underlying causes. But we get so fixated on the urgency of certain pains or issues. I mean, even even just as a person, I see this happening every day, every week with the news cycle. It's like, now I have to focus on this. Now I have to turn over here and look at this, but we never get the chance to um, dig deeper into what where did these things come from? Where are these things telling me about the world? How do these things, how are these things interrelated? And where is my place? Like really that takes a lot of space and discernment and learning to find where our place is in making something somewhere a little better. Um, But we, when we're so caught up in this cycle of like, Now it's hurting over here. Now there's violence over here. Now this crisis is in my neighborhood. And I don't know whether to pay attention to my neighborhood or to the, you know, Ukraine. It's like, we have to, It sometimes if we don't have the skills or the language or the, um, the emotional capacity, but we have to find them. We have to find the capacity to step back just a little bit and say all these things are interrelated. All of this um, matters, and my context and my history, even my body, are telling me something about where I belong in helping to shift it. And I don't have to be able to control it. I don't have to be able to comprehend it all in order to start to look for my place in healing myself and those around me and 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 then to understand how that heals the world and and how that of course how that um interrelates with these with the more urgent acute solutions mm. so as, you know protesting passing laws past, doing projects all these things are great um they ju- they can distract us from this deeper work and i think a lot of us are really feeling that sense of of missing that piece of like everything every, it looks like everything is crumbling right and maybe that is maybe that's totally true what are we how do we live in this context other than just like the way other people want to profit off our fear and anger
0: mm. yeah exactly yeah I, I agree and that's it that's part of the system we live in it wants us to, it, it tries to sell us scarcity it tries to make us afraid so that we will go out and buy the product that solves that problem right um or just in case that happens why that um because you never know uh you know and um and even social media is like this as well like it's the algorithm of twitter and i noticed this i noticed this a lot when i took a break from twitter in december or i thought Twitter was going to finish so i started going in other places like mm-hmm. um like uh, mastodon for example and when I, especially on mastodon i was there and it was like it was it was completely different the algorithm was different the atmosphere was different the energy was different everything was different even though it looked similar. It was completely different, and I, and it was. I think it was then I realized, oh, right. Twitter has an algorithm which wants you to be outraged. <laughs> you need to be addicted to outrage, yeah. right? That's like so you know, like like headlines or stories or whatever that will make you outraged that so you quote tweet them or retweet them or subtweet them, like and get in more engagement, get more hits, get more people tweeting you get more people using the site, you know, that's the algorithm. It's like, it it makes you addicted to outrage and makes you think it's normal. And that's no good for your mental health. Yeah. And, you know, I know people that have completely quit Twitter and their mental health has improved, like, immeasurably. Um,
1: oh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I think we've been connected on Twitter for a really long time, but I haven't, I, like, checked my notifications and my messages once a day and I really don't. Read the feed, and yeah, there. It's funny, like it's really funny. A lot of people have like very different, but also super important complaints about Instagram affecting their mental health. <laughs> um yeah. I don't love Instagram either. I don't know. I the I I'm really excited about. I'm not on Mastodon, but I'm really excited about Substack. Um, being set up for it for a deeper conversation, yeah. um, And I've even, I've been on Reddit a little more lately, and really noticing how just not having everything in your face all the time makes people so much nicer, and the conversation so much more productive. Um, I hope that we're learning this lesson as a like world. I think a lot of people have left Twitter. I think a lot of people are leaving Instagram because it's more distracting than connecting for so many of us.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've never really been addicted to Instagram. I I kind of post there once or twice a week at most, you know, oh. like I've got mm-hmm. a podcast going out or i just, I've got some news I'm excited about or something. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll put something up there, but I don't really go on there very often. Uh, uh, it's never, and same with Facebook. I don't really go on Facebook now that much uh twitter is the only the only social media that i really use regularly whether i pop into mastodon and i pop into i'm on discord and a few discord servers discord is actually really good because you get servers which are focused on specific topics and yeah. like it's like a, it's more in the form of a conversation uh like a dialogue rather yeah. than kind of subtweeting and like, <laughs> timeline. It's like you're actually having a conversation with these these group of people about something you're all interested in which is much more fun uh much more relaxed so uh i'm discovering all these other places which are much healthier um but i still have twitter and i still go on twitter but not quite as much as i used to and that makes twitter more enjoyable for when i'm because when i'm there i can connect with people that i really care about and you know catch up with them and stuff and it's, it's more fun and just talk about what i'm passionate about uh like i love talking about superhero movies i love talking about uh loads of other things on there so it's like it's just it's just more more enjoyable rather than what it used to be um yeah
1: yeah i think these are we, you know we all we all have to make these decisions about these things because for the you know it's the same thing like this the, each one is a system that is set up for a certain purpose it's set up in a certain way your environment is constrained or not constrained in a specific way and you against all odds have to figure out how to interact with it in a way that works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and I, I hope that we are getting more like savvy about noticing the, the, how the system is set up and fig and choosing how we want to interact with that. Yeah. With all the knowledge, (laughs) all the, skills that we're developing absolutely
0: yeah i think so and yeah, you know, um yeah and i think that will happen more and more and i think people will, will will hopefully start to have a healthier relationship with these with these things um and be more aware of what they're part of rather than just be swept along by it Yeah, because there's a difference between them both so uh yeah you're right um So, what? Finally, what did you like in the process of writing the book? What What did you learn about yourself, and what did you learn about this whole subject whilst you were writing the book in that process? Mm
1: -hmm. I learned. um, I did a lot of research on a lot of different things, so I got to learn. (laughs) I got to learn about the healthcare, the American healthcare system, and bodies and neuroscience and, um, theology and systems theory. So, um, I have, I'm really proud of the uh, resources section in the back of the book, (laughs) um, because I just really loved all those, all those books. Um, and (laughs) so, yeah, I mean, I definitely I would say this shift from like my body has all these things to say to all of us about what's making us sick um into also incorporating how we go about healing together Mm -hmm. um that shift happened during the writing of the book and I was I was um just starting to notice more and more it not only that I wanted to say, well, first of all, also I learned about myself that I am disabled. <laughs> um, I had identified as chronically ill for a really long time and then I came to the more I, the more I wrote and I was the more I realized I, there's something I'm resisting about just going ahead and naming that this is the truth about my social location, um, that the world is not accept- accessible to me. <laughs> And that I belong in solidarity with the disabled community, right? Um, so that happened, and I also, you know, along the way of writing the book, I really wanted to make sure I was didn't just for me what I what I was setting out to accomplish was not to just to say disabled people have a lot of wisdom to share about the world. And you should listen to them. I really wanted to talk, you know, show what that is. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to talk about how our lives are different and why and what that has to say to the non-disabled world. And so that was the other thing that that was that there was there's like two layers to the book of like. Here's what's making us sick, and here is what the my own process of healing, in relationship with others, has taught me about how we can start to heal together on these bigger issues, bigger scales, bigger communities.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I always find it interesting to explore that creative process when I have guests on who've written books, because I always find that. The creative process teaches us something about ourselves. And, you know, we discover we yeah. some truth about ourselves when we when we create something. Um especially when you write, because that that unlocks things that are in us that we didn't that we didn't know and that we didn't see. So it's it's really really interesting to see yeah. that, that happened with how that happened with you. Like that's really, really interesting. Um yeah. Um so I guess I'd wanna finish by asking you like what's what's the if there's one if you could pass like one lesson on that you've learned on your journey so far uh that you want people to know what would that be
1: i think it just would be that healing is not fixing and um sometimes we think I think a lot of people would hear that and they would just like nod their head and agree. (laughs) Um, but when we really get into it, it is, it is very countercultural. It's often gonna, you know, lead us to disappoint people to commit to healing. Um, and it's just going to look so different from what the way we've been taught to manage and control and, uh, just sort of yank things into place and accomplish things by any means necessary on the timeline that's, you know, been handed to us. Healing is such a different path and, um, we don't do it because it's hard. It's hard to measure. It's, um, it involves like we've been talking about, like paying close attention to our pain rather than masking our pain. Yeah. It involves asking for help in ways that are uncomfortable to us these days in these cultures. And it's also really beautiful. And the more I do it, the more foreign and strange the other way feels. Um, and the more I do it, the more I'm learning to apply this again to different areas of my life where again the if you type in the internet what to do about a problem it'll be like well here's the technology to buy here's the five steps here's the timeline how to make everything bigger and better in five minutes or less and um I'm learning how to just observe a situation and really look for what resources and beautiful things are already there. I'm learning how to respect what it is and what it's meant to do, to pay attention to the context on a much wider scale than we are taught, and to, to dance with it. And to work with it over time and to see it unfold and become something beautiful and something worthwhile and something that contributes to the wholeness of me and everyone around me over again, over all this time and to enjoy that journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Um... And where can people find uh, you and and your work?
1: Yes, I am at lindsaymedford.com. That's L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y. And um, my book, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, there are all the links to all the places to buy it at lindsaymedford.com. And then you can also keep up with me most reliably via Substack, which you can sign up for at lindsaymedford.com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, It's been really good having you on and and listening to your story and talking about this stuff. Really important um, thing to talk about. Um, I think we need to talk about it more. So thank you so much. Sure.
1: Thank you so much. And I love getting to, especially getting to talk with other um, chronically ill and neurodiverse and mentally ill people. So.
0: Thanks for sharing your stuff. Thank you. You're you're welcome. Yeah. And uh, uh, thanks for listening, everybody.